0: anyone? Uh, yes, we can hear you, Carl. Oh.
1: <laughs> Space control to Major Tom.
0: I thought, no one was talking, I thought, oh my word, what's going on?
2: Well, in this week's show, it's episode 482 of the show. Uh, we've got a SAF story, Nev's taking points, uh, Armando's giving us a lowdown on flying coats, and we've got... A helicopter uh, flying on a tablet. For the military this week, Armando is going to talk to us about a recent Air Force CV-22 mishap. We've got F-16s in Romania and some new U.S. Coast Guard helicopters. So get settled in with the drinks, uh, service and snacks and fasten your seatbelts for episode number 482. Well, hello everyone. How, how is everyone this evening?
0: Marvellous. Uh, yes very well thank you yes not bad at all
2: good so nev uh, well welcome as always onto the show good to see you nev what's been going on in the world of uh, mr bang well because I mean, you've you've heard some issues very hectic
0: yes lots of stuff going some good stuff um so on sunday uh with the great help of our atc chum adam i managed to take uh, five of my or four of my uh work colleagues up the tower at Heathrow uh, which was very nice we spent a a few hours up there um, and that was as awesome as it always is I must say it was really great and um, yeah they were suitably impressed I must say Um, it's a it's a great trip and Adam is just the the perfect host so that was very nice indeed Uh, and then I stayed down at Heathrow because I was in Dublin all week so I flew out to Dublin on uh, Monday morning and got back yesterday afternoon uh, lots of uh, running around down there um, but of course there's always an incident to talk about so later on in the show there'll be some Nev's terminal tantrums not to be missed oh, looking forward to that Nev very good very
2: good we've got those coming up uh, we're going to squish them in between um, some commercial stories so looking forward to that Nev uh, joining us as well this week he's back on the show thank goodness he's back on the show uh, but he's got he's got a touch of the uh, of cold bless him it's
1: Armando Yep, that's how you know it's wintertime you get a little bit of a cold. Um, I was just telling you guys before we went live that it's challenging to uh, work in an aviation department that only has two pilots when you are nursing a cold. (laughs) Um, So it's been challenging and it's been uh, just an overall long week as we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. I suppose it's one of those things, Armando,
2: when you're up there at the altitudes and stuff, I I think you you feel colds worse, I think, don't you, when you you have a kind of bunged up, kind of nasally sort of thing. I think you feel it worse.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, you cannot self-medicate. There's a very limited amount of medications that the FAA allows you to take on your own. Um, So what I tend to do is I offer the left seat up to the other pilot, and that way I can control the Cabin pressure, which is really what hurts your, your sinuses, um, you can ask for long descents I think in in corporate, we are a little bit more uh, we have a little bit more leeway. We can select our altitudes, I can keep the altitude lower um, you know the passengers in the back will never know the difference between forty thousand feet and thirty four thousand feet and if I can you know save my sinuses a little bit it helps out. <laughs> So, Matt's not with us this week, as you probably could
2: tell by the start of the show. But uh, we have uh, got uh, a very special super sub with us this week on the show. He's the guy who uh, does an awful lot of work in the background here at PTUK headquarters, uh, getting all the stories and show notes and stuff put together each week. Uh, so, Nick, welcome on again. Good to see you. Thanks, Carlos. Nice to be back. It's been
3: uh, been a little while. So, uh, yeah, come and uh, come and see what you guys are up to and. Um... As it's December the 1st, I thought I'd break out the Christmas jumper. Oh, give a bit of, bit of seasonal cheer.
2: It's a bit early for that. Mind you, Nick, a, you've got, you've got a kids, bit, so it? Nick, who so will let you off. <laughs> So we've got uh, loads of news and stuff to get through uh, on the show this week, and uh, let's have a quick look and see who's in the chat room, in the YouTube chat room tonight. We've got uh, Mazousa's in there, uh, Lee Davies is in there, uh, we've got, let's have a look, scroll down, Sturman's also in there, good to see you Sturman, uh, Hobby Time, hello to you Hobby Time, and Richard Adams is also in there, good to see you, Richard Dirk Hess, hello Dirk, Uh, Let me just scroll down. John Jester, our resident freight pilot, is also in there tonight, good to see you in there. Richard E. Flag, great to see you in there, Richard uh ian hello to ian he's in there as well first live show for several months ian <gasps> where you been where you been he's in there good to see you uh let me scroll down Masha's in there hello Masha. lovely to see you in there as well hope you're keeping warm because it's blooming cold here in the uk uh mark's also in there mark precy good to see you our main man micah he's popped in there as well good to see you micah and uh, yeah, thanks everyone for joining us on the show tonight. Don't forget, if you're listening to us as an audio show, uh, don't forget we're live every Friday night on YouTube. So get that, uh, search for us on YouTube, be Plain Talking UK, hit the subscribe and bell icon to be notified when we are going live with all the latest news on the show. So we've got loads of stuff to get through on the show this week, uh, loads of commercial news and military news as well. So if all the team is ready... We are all ready. Let's yes. go.
0: The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. <laughs>
2: You know what, Never. it seems like we're always covering stories about uh, the sustainability sort of stuff on, on the show. But uh, mm. this first one comes to us from bbc.co.uk, and uh, the headline is groundbreaking transatlantic flight using greener fuels that finally takes off. Now, you may have seen this uh, on your telly boxes this week. Uh, this was a version Atlantic aircraft, the first transatlantic flight by a large passenger plane powered by alternative fuels has taken off this week. Operated by Virgin Atlantic, it flew from London Heathrow to New York's JFK Airport. Uh, The airlines uh, airlines see the flight, which is supported by government funding as demonstrating that a greener way of flying is possible, but lack of full supply remains a challenge while other technologies will be needed to hit emission targets. Uh, The flight is a one-off, and it's one of its kind so far, and it's not carrying fair-paying passengers. So-called sustainable fuels, or SAFs, can be made from a variety of sources, including crops, household waste and cooking oils. For this flight a Boeing 787 was uh, filled with 50 tonnes of SAF uh, two types are being used, with 88% derived from waste fats and the rest of the waste from corn products in the US. Following tests and analysis, the flight was approved by the UK regulator, the Civil Aviation Authority, early this month, and a number of companies have been involved in the project, including engine maker Rolls-Royce and energy giant BP. I'm surprised they're involved. Uh, the aviation industry is particularly uh, difficult to decarbonize, but airline bosses view SAF as the most effective tool available to bring its net emissions down to zero. Planes still emit a carbon when using SAF, but the industry says the life cycle emissions of these fuels can be up to seventy percent lower. Uh, Shay Weiss. Uh, Chief Executive of Virgin Atlantic said the airline's flight on Tuesday was proving that fossil-derived fuels can be replaced by sustainable aviation fuel. She said it's really the only pathway to decarbonising long-haul aviation and over uh, having the youngest fleet in the sky, he told BBC's Today programme. It's really a monumental achievement. However, he said there was not enough SAF currently and added that due to the fuel being more expensive, flight prices would end up being higher. Virgin's founder, Richard Branson, uh, admitted it was going to take a while before there was enough SAF for everyone to use. He said, but if you have to start somewhere, he told the BBC, and if we didn't prove it can be done, you would never ever get sustainable fuels." So the story goes on, but yeah, I mean... (sighs) this is obviously a groundbreaking flight it's been done by the aircraft and it it went well obviously the aircraft got to its destination but um as the story says nev this stuff doesn't cost three pence to make
0: well isn't it a bit like the electric car thing you know i'm afraid um it's more expensive um whilst maybe being possibly a bit greener um but I, i mean this is going To take some time, this is not going to be an overnight thing at all, and um, I wonder how many of the engines are capable of being run on sustainable aviation fuel as well. Um, these are obviously very modern Rolls Royce engines that are on the 787, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it as you say, it, it, they've got to start somewhere, but I think this is going to be a quite a, a long haul, um, if you'll pardon the pun, and I, I, I this is you know we're, we're probably i don't know 20 or 30 years away from from seeing it um on a regular basis i, I would say from what i've read
2: what do you think Armando? obviously uh, over in the us you know we've we've sort of stolen the mantle for this the first um you know first aircraft to fly out of the uk
1: yeah well it's got to fly back doesn't it um, <laughs> so uh no i don't you know i think we're probably Europe and the US are, are working fairly closely, you know, since all our OEM manufacturers are all, you know, cross continent. So I'm sure the the crosstalk is happening. I think more for me, you know, I don't, I'm not sure it's gonna make its way to, to corporate aviation anytime soon. I anticipate that the cost savings are gonna be more for the airlines first, and then the technology will trickle down to um, other Aviation uh, uh, sectors, I suppose. Uh, more, you know, applicable to me. That similar technologies are happening with the unleaded uh, aviation, um, general aviation fuels. So, uh, you know, we, we use one hundred low lead fuel right now in in all small piston engine aircraft general aviation, and that's also kind of going uh, by the wayside. And they're working hard to uh, replace that with uh, unleaded fuel. So, I think both of these fuels. Are the way of the future, and uh, I, like Nev said, I, I think general aviation unleaded fuel will probably be around uh, uh, more available in the next three to four years. But uh, yeah, like Nev said, I, th- I think it's going to be a minute before we see this all promulgated through the industry.
2: Also, I wonder how easy it is to switch between the two. You know, when this aircraft got to the U.S., did it fill up fuel up with standard, you know, aviation fuel? To, to return journey i
1: think from what i saw it was going to be refueled with just standard jet a so um doesn't seem like the engines will need much modification i know uh, the general aviation side for the unleaded fuels i don't think it's going to take much modification but you do need to get an, uh supplemental type certificate to for that fuel in that engine in that airplane
2: hmm.
1: probably going to be more of a paperwork drill like everything else aviation.
2: Yeah. Nev, you've got mm. the next story, and um, it's, it's about that, that thing that we used to do many years ago in the late 80s and early 90s, but I think it's a thing of the past now, but I don't oh,
0: know. Oh, no, no, no. We, I, we can do it a lot now. In the UK, uh, but there's some some caveats as I shall mention <laughs> later on. Um, this is on the BusinessTraveler.com, uh, and it says that British Airways has announced a new Avios partnership with World Duty Free. Uh, executive Club members can now collect Avios when shopping at World Duty Free shops at London Heathrow Airport, providing they also sign up to WDF's Red by Dufry uh, loyalty program and enter their executive club details in the Schemes app. Customers will then earn one Avios per £1 spent at the airport, as well as a bonus of 250 Avios on their first purchase when scanning the QR code within the app. Uh, avios will be awarded within 72 hours of eligible purchases, and uh, BA said that savvy shoppers can also use the BA American Express card to pay for their purchase, collecting even more Avios. Uh, note that, according to this page, to the page on the BA's uh, website, members can also collect Avios at participating stores operated by Dufry at Heathrow, Barcelona, Madrid and more airports in Spain. Uh, The page also states that certain products or product categories such as tobacco or alcohol may be excluded and you will not be able to collect Avios when you buy them. Brilliant. Uh, Finally, uh, note that a maximum of 3,000 Avios can be earned per transaction and there is a limit of two transactions per day and 30 per month Uh, commenting on the news colm lacey who's british airways chief commercial officer said we know how much collecting avios makes a difference to our customers travels, so we continue to find new ways of make of making it to to make it collecting it even easier Uh, with world duty free's expansive presence at heathrow there'll be plenty of opportunity for members to collect avios bringing them one step closer to their next flight holiday or experience the Heathrow Heathrow rewards program also offers members 10 points for every 10 pounds spent in the airport shops including world duty free stores these points can be converted into avios at a rate of 250 points for 250 avios a business traveler could not see anything in the terms and conditions for the red by dewfry partnership to say that the two offers could not be used in conjunction so readers should present both their cards uh, when making purchases. Now, you were just saying, Carlos, is duty free a thing anymore?
2: I know. Uh, well, years ago, it uh, used to Let me give a you a,
0: a, a quick example of <laughs> why it should be, but it isn't. Uh, <laughs> Going through Dublin Airport this week on the way back, there's obviously Dublin's in the EU and the UK isn't, so I thought, ah, here we go, Hmm. big duty free purchases coming up. I thought I'll bring back uh, a bottle of Baileys for Mrs Nev. Now, in our local store, uh, it's available for 10 pounds per bottle at the moment, which is a really good price for a bottle of Baileys. Um, In the World Duty, no, sorry, it wasn't World Duty Free, it was one of the other shops in dublin airport it was 24 euro reduced to 17 euro as a special deal which is still more than 10 pounds um so the answer to your question is not necessarily
2: (laughs) yeah do you you remember the the days when you know in in the kind of well i say early 90s i suppose when you used to take these sort of package deals abroad to spain and stuff like that you'd go to an airport And you'd get, you know, I mean, a lot of people get who smoke would have cheap, cheap cigarettes and cigars. But you'd get a cheap bottle of whiskey, you'd get a cheap bottle of rum or gin, and it was always, you know, half the price it would cost you on a high street shop. But now I just think you can go online, you can go into a a supermarket branch here in the UK and, and purchase said
0: alcoholic items for. Less money than they cost them in airports. Well, yeah. Of course, you've got to remember that uh, it, at the height of duty free back in the day, uh, you could not buy alcohol at the same sort of price that you can in supermarkets. In fact, you could only buy alcohol from off licences and, and specialist places, and of course, they, it was far more expensive, wasn't it? So, mm. um, but yeah, it, it's quite a um, quite a thing. But you, you've got to do a lot of it to, to make it sensible, and also that the deals aren't that great as i've just uh, highlighted you know some of them there there might be some deals here and there but you know generally speaking Mm. i think it's aimed at the passenger that's transiting from one place to another through the airport and they might want to take their host or you know their wife girlfriend husband boyfriend whatever brother or sister a bottle uh, on the way through, so that's the way to do it, probably, isn't it? But, yeah. Of course,
2: if you live in the US, you don't have to worry about things like duty free because the alcohol is so ridiculously cheap. You could just buy tons of it. Hi, Armando.
1: I can't remember the last time I shopped at a duty free. I guess maybe a Toblerone there at Heathrow or something.
2: Yay! But... <laughs> Nothing wrong with a Toblerone. That is the way forward. Now, Armando, you've got the next. Uh, you've got the next story, and uh,
1: <laughs> I love these ones. You know, it's it's not often that we actually hear uh, feedback or, or that we have a story on the show, and then, you know, a month later or two months later, we actually see the outcome of this. Um, so this is from South Korea. The story's from The Independent. The South Korean airlines, are, airlines will now be mandated to warn passengers against opening doors according to new operational guidelines. Um, I have a funny story about this, too. Um, but this new regulation comes after a series of incidents in which uh, some passengers have tried to open some emergency exits while flying, some of them having been successful. Uh, The Korean government said in the guidance that was included uh, a draft amendment of the operating guideline for airline operators and that it will be under review until next week at uh, time. Uh, at time which uh, public announcement is going to be made about this. Uh, So it's unclear whether this rule applies to foreign airlines flying in and out of South Korea. Uh, The Independent contacted the Korean Office of Civil Aviation for further information. I think we're still waiting on that. But this new advice comes after a series of incidents which uh, some passengers, like I said, opened some emergency exits. In May, there was a man that succeeded in opening the door of an Asiana flight shortly before it landed in Daegu. Uh, 12 people on that flight were injured, and police later said that the man in his 30s faced up to 10 years in prison. Uh, this, the 10-year penalty is in line with South Korea's aviation security laws and applies to any passenger who, quote, uh, interferes with plane entrances, emergency exits, or devices that hinder the security or operation of an aircraft. And uh, more recently, there was that woman that was arrested for trying to open a plane door on a flight from New York to Incheon. And she was apprehended by members of the cabin crew, later later tested positive for crystal meth, Uh, you know, as one does before boarding a a long flight like that. Um, Either way, so like most other airlines, South Korean airlines currently are required to make announcements about smoking, about the use of electronic devices, uh, and any actions that would prevent the cabin crew from performing their duties, um, but now they're going to have to add, please don't open the doors mid-flight uh, to that. So, I don't. Here in the U.S., I think it's funny because when you sit on an exit row in an exit row, they the cabin crew has to get a verbal confirmation, right? That are you willing to help? And you have to say yes, I yes I am. Um, but I feel like now they're just going to have to go down the whole aisle of the rest of the airplane. <laughs> And just say, can I get a ver- verbal confirmation that you're not going to try to open the doors? Only the people in ten and eleven, and row one. That's one thing you've never had to worry about,
2: isn't there? Having to uh, be asked to uh, open, you know, be able to open the overwing exits. Well,
0: no, uh, no, absolutely not. Um, but here we are again. Uh, uh, does do people not understand the the, the physics of the whole thing? No. I mean, it's my understanding that on the takeoff roll. In most airlines, when takeoff power is set, the aircraft begins to pressurize, or, or soon after mm. that.
1: Mm. Um, now, sorry, most of them are on a weight on wheels uh, oh, right. switch, okay. so it's yeah. usually 5 to 10 seconds after rotation. Yeah. Um, because what you wouldn't want to do is run off the runway, and the airplane is already pressurizing.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be suboptimal, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> it'd be bad for them.
0: Good, good point. Um, but I, I can't even believe we're going to have this conversation. But we are, unfortunately, because... They're called plug doors for a reason. Yeah. Know, right? yeah.
1: Extraordinary. But, yeah. Do you remember? I think it was like two months ago I was on the show. Maybe it was the last time I was on the show live. But um, <laughs> the I, I had gone through TSA here in Charlotte, and they asked for my ID, my boarding pass. And, and then they said, no weapons past this point. I said, oh, I'm sorry, you have to say that to each passenger now? <laughs> it's like... Yeah, it, it's the uh, issue issue
2: du jour. It was just it's just you. I'm They done it. You know they knew your background. You know, oh, oh. his beard, his beard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nick, uh, you've got the next story, Nick, all uh, about uh, lightning. Yeah, well,
3: it's a good old seven four seven story, and I think you know we always love to fit a seven four seven in, don't we? So. Um, Undetected degradation of key lightning protection system parts have prompted Boeing to recommend a prompt inspection on all 747s. Uh, And this is an FAA mandate for the work on US registered aircraft. So Boeing uses several layers of protection to ensure that the feed tubes that run into fuel tanks do not become ignition sources when lightning strikes engine nacelles. Among them is a bonding jumper or cable outside the fuel tank and sealant over the fuel tank's interior wall. These serve as secondary protection beyond the primary electrical path, which are wing spar fittings. Fittings are subject to degradation, and they can limit their lightning protection effectiveness, uh, making secondary protection critical. Boeing recently discovered 747 jumpers are failing at an excessive rate And the FAA airworthiness directive is set for publication uh, or was set for publication on November the 30th. Um, And Boeing also found another latent failure, a complete crack around the circumference of the fuel feed fitting encapsulation inside one of the 7478 fuel tanks. This encapsulation is designed to isolate any sparks or arcing generated during a lightning strike because of failed electrical bonds from flammable fuel vapours in the tank, the agency said. This is an urgent safety issue, as all fuel feed lightning protection features now have evidence of compromise. This issue affects all 747 variants, the agency determined. The FAA directive, which was not subject to a pre-publication public comment period due to the severity, orders 747 operators to conduct inspections within 90 days of its effective date. Uh, that being December the fifteenth, all variants must be checked within one hundred and twenty days of that date. So this has me in mind. I think there was a seven four seven which actually blew up, yeah, that having was taken T. off from New York, and T. that was a yeah. that was a fuel vapor issue, wasn't it? On the um, I think it was the main center tank that ignited, but I, I can't remember the the flight number for that. I don't know that that was a lightning strike issue, but obviously it's a yeah, pretty serious issue that you have to try and mitigate.
0: Yeah, that Also, was, uh, in, that was, uh, in 2023, oh, sorry, we're even talking about this because the aircraft's been in production for so long. I know the Dash 8 is obviously the, the latest variant of it, but he would have thought, unless there's been some manufacturing issue perhaps, um, that this would have been picked up a, a long time ago.
3: Yeah, it's quite reassuring in a way, isn't it? It shows that they're, they're sort of still on it and that safety inspections are still picking this kind of stuff up. Um, you know, at least it, it kind of goes to show that routine maintenance is sort of doing its job in terms of flagging any any potential issues.
2: That was TWA yeah. 800,
1: uh, Nick. Right, yeah. Well, And additionally, the part may be common to other aircraft too. I mean, if you're thinking about bonding straps between fuel lines uh, to the fuselage or to the you know metal parts of the fuselage um, that actual part may be in use in other Boeing products or Airbus products um, so if they're showing uh, degradation or corrosion in the 747s it may not be isolated to just this aircraft hmm.
3: Hmm.
2: yeah well lightning is not a you know we all know lightning's not a big um hazard to <laughs> aircraft these days you know, whether you see the pictures on the pictures you see online look more dra- uh, dramatic than they actually are in real life, I think, isn't it right, Armando?
1: Wait, I can't tell if you're joking or not. No, no. Um, no I mean, when yeah. you're sitting in an airplane and you get hit by lightning, it's <laughs> an emotional but <laughs> <laughs> and, and you have? have I've you? gotten hit by it twice. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Both both over the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. Recently? Yeah. No, years ago. Uh, okay. Once Once in a C 130 and once in an Osprey.
3: Oh
1: wow! Yeah, no. You you hear it, smell it, feel it.
3: Yeah. Wow.
1: And the C one thirty, it took out a good chunk of the the aileron, or not? Yeah, went in the aileron and out the tail, out the elevator. Probably took out a you know softball sized chunk out of the tail.
2: Wow. Wow. Gosh. So, with a break to uh, the uh, commercial news, um, well, it's time for this.
3: Attention is the flight call for British Airways Flight 475. Paging for of Mr Neville Miles. Your seat 1A is
0: waiting for you. NEV. Well, I've been flying this week, and of course, something always happens, doesn't it? Although, actually, the flying bit of it was pretty straightforward, especially coming back. Uh, we had a, a brilliant um, sort of tailwind coming back from Dublin to Heathrow this week, and it was a really quick flight. Straight on to zero, nine left, no messing. And we actually arrived half an hour uh, before the published uh, arrival time, which was absolutely brilliant. But of course, as we know, getting on and off the aircraft and within the security area, there's always trouble. And uh, I was not disappointed this week as I came back through Dublin airport. So on the way to the lounge, and there is a reasonably sized queue in in the uh, uh, the, uh, security, bag check area and that's mainly because people aren't actually taking their uh, trays off of the (laughs) conveyor belt they're actually taking bits and pieces out of it and putting it in their pocket as they go so this is causing a bit of a backlog it's not ideal and i think it's just a bit of poor management on behalf of the airport because that could have been dealt with but uh, their solution to this was to shout at people Uh, And they were doing that a lot, so the security operatives were doing a lot of shouting at the passengers, uh, but then the passengers were shouting back at them. Um, So that made for a very interesting five minute uh, period as I observed this, as I was trying to put on my belt and my watch and put my phone back in my pocket, the usual stuff. Um, Quick tip from Uncle Nev, don't shout at the passengers. It's never a good thing and uh it just made it worse it was for what for a couple of minutes it it was um the cacophony of sound was absolutely awful um but they eventually got themselves sorted out again but it was uh, a bit of an unnecessary thing i would say um and then somebody wanted to get into the terminal one lounge uh behind me uh, but didn't have the correct status to do so Or wasn't on a business class ticket either. And uh, so he decided to take issue with the poor lady on the desk. And that resulted in loudness and shouting and (laughs) unnecessary stuff. All I wanted was a coffee and a bun. Um, But yeah, so it's a bit of a shame people can't behave themselves um, under those situations. But, you know, that's what happens. So, yes, actually, as I say, the flying bit this week was. Pretty reasonable but um yeah it's all it's the bit in between isn't it always well thanks nev
3: for
2: waiting for you always great to hear from you nev each week <laughs> in this I, hope, I wish i tell you what I wish you flew every single day of the week because you'd have you, we could have a whole podcast dedicated. Well, I think we'd run
0: out of time on the show uh, if we did that, <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: Now, Amanda, you've got the uh,
1: next story. This, yeah. Well, we continue on with more automation uh, taking over aviation. This is from Manufacturer.com. Airbus has successfully tested a new, what they're calling a simplified human interface uh, along with advanced autonomous features through a project codenamed Vertex these technologies are developed by Airbus's Up next, uh, They're controlled by a touchscreen tablet that aim to simplify mission preparation and management, reduce helicopter pilot workload, and further increase safety. Um, Airbus's helicopter's flight lab flew fully automated from liftoff, taxi, takeoff, cruise, and approach, and then landing during a one-hour test flight following a predefined route. During this flight, the pilot monitored the system, which is, I think, what we usually do, anyways, even when we're flying, which is able to detect unforeseen obstacles and automatically recalculate a safe flight path. Whenever necessary, the pilot can easily override the controls, thankfully, through the tab... Oh, through the tablet. um, And resume the mission afterwards. Uh, The flight test period uh, lasted from the 27th of October to the 22nd of november at the airbus helicopter facility in france um apparently airbus is going to continue to mature the different technologies uh that comprise vertex and uh yeah you know keep working on their fly-by-wire stuff and human interface stuff and i think we'll all be ready to be pilots if we can just fly helicopters with an ipad
2: that takes all the fun out of it though armando it's much it better really does. It. Yeah, why would you want to do it with a touchscreen when you can have a nice yoke or control stick, throttles, all the bits and bobs?
1: Or can you imagine when it when it gives you the temperature warning, like your iPad's about to shut down? And you're <laughs> like, uh, "What am I supposed to do now?" Right? Or you get the eight percent battery warning. Do you want to go into low power mode? No, I don't. <laughs> yeah.
2: What
0: do you think? Nav? This is all a bit too much, isn't it? you know well the thing is i'm not i'm not an expert in this area so i can't can't really comment i mean it's you know um flight automation of course has come on such a long way but as we well know um having the pilot in the loop is still old oh, two mm. pilots in the loop preferably um is still the important part of, of of what goes on um i mean i think it's interesting that they're, they're experimenting with, with with different things and, and they can prove that certain things work um, but um trying to find out what the real world use for it would be i don't know what that is i have to say but you know no,
1: no. um stick what would it the
0: The fact that it says whenever necessary the pilot can easily override the controls through the tablet, Um, well, yeah, so why do you need to do that? That's kind of their job, isn't it?
1: Yeah, (laughs) and the tablet is one foot, officially one foot from the actual controls.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think this is sort of part of um, Airbus's? Um, a, you know, you, if you were to compare Airbus airliners with Boeing airliners, you, you know, there's arguably more <laughs> automation in an Airbus, perhaps. Um, uh, Sorry, somebody... I thought you
1: were going to. I thought you were going to go with this. Is already what they do,
3: right? Well, it's kind <laughs> of you know, as a layman, it's you know, often perhaps the perception that an Airbus um, aircraft may be more simplified or automated compared to a boeing uh, um, aircraft Uh, so perhaps this is their kind of um, their way of making helicopters um, easier to learn or easier to become uh, proficient at flying
2: Flying yeah perhaps it's not easy fix wings away
1: forward in come the emails (laughs) i would love to agree with you but all these ev tall things popping up i think vertical lift is is going to be uh, the way of the future.
2: So, moving on to the next story, moving away from all things automated now. And good news if you uh, want to go and get yourself an apprenticeship, because aircraft manif- uh, manufacturer, even uh, this is from the thebusinessdesk.com, uh, Airbus is seeking to recruit more than 200 apprentices, probably to use iPads, uh, at its Broughton site near Chester. Uh, The site, which currently employs 5,000 staff, uh, making wings for all the group's commercial aircraft, is holding an open doors event next week to attract the next generation of young staff to work at the plant. Airbus head of Brighton plant, Jerome Blandin, said we will welcome potential apprentices, including school leavers. Uh, and beyond next Saturday, December the 9th, when the event kicks off at 1.30. The manufacturer wants to take on 239 new apprentices, blimey, at the site next year, which includes everyone in its early careers program, such as graduates, undergraduates, and interns. Mr. Blandon said, "'Our apprentice program is world-leading, "'and this year we had a record number "'of early careers starters join the Broughton family,'' he said. For a lot of leavers, however, they don't know what opportunities there are out there, so we really want to encourage uh, those who have not uh, thought about a career in aviation to really consider it, he said. And that starts with our careers day. The pioneering spirit that was here when the Wellington bomber was assembled in record time still shines 80 years on. He said it's not by accident that a majority of all Airbus wings are made right here in Broughton. It's thought uh, so be sustainable in, uh, investment into people and technology. He added, what an exciting time to be joining the industry. He said, those who join now will be at the forefront of finding real solutions to decarbonising aviation. Uh, Airbus is looking for craft and technical apprenticeships in aerostructures and aircraft systems. Uh, Aircraft Systems and Testing Group, (ASTG), Air Tool Maintenance, ATM, uh, Tool Room Jobs, Mechanical and Electrical Maintenance Jobs as well. Also Machine Shop and Facilities Management and that in turn will lead to roles as Qualified Aircraft Operators, Electricians or Mechanical Maintenance Operators and Machinists. The undergraduate degree apprenticeships include opportunities in engineering, business, digital and technology solutions and HR as well. Successful applicants, uh, apprentice applicants, will be sponsored to study towards their respective qualifications while earning on the job at the same time. Now, it just seems to me like whoever applies for this is going to need probably a thousand A-levels and 10 degrees in
0: maths, but I might be wrong. What do you think? Well, not necessarily, not necessarily. Um, certainly, if I think about our industry, the one I work in, in professional audio, um, we really struggle to attract people at the, the, the lower end of the age range, you know, the, the, the 20 to 22-year-olds, for example, um, because we don't really have proper append- apprenticeships in my area of business. When you talk about engineering, um, that is a really good area for being an apprentice and i think that there is definitely scope uh, even if you haven't got the the degree that you wanted or you haven't got the the grades that you wanted for example i think most uh, employers such as airbus would definitely negotiate a way of finding you something somewhere. Now, obviously, th- these jobs often are very oversubscribed, but it's good that they're taking the initiative to actually get people in in the first place, and I think that's a that's a good good side of things. And f- for sure, you know, we're going to need more and more people uh, coming in at, th- at this level. Um, that- that's for certain.
2: Nick, you're obviously here in the UK with us. Uh, this is uh, you know you've got uh, young children as well. Is this something you'd um, you'd like your uh, your youngsters to Partake in.
3: Well, actually, it's. Um, I think there are a, a couple of issues where, for some younger people, they might not necessarily have a um, a, a career path in mind. Um, some people don't necessarily want to go and do a degree and kind of do the you know kind of go the old-fashioned way of, you know, go and do a degree and then start a, a particular career path. Uh, and this, I think, is a great way for younger people. Um, you know, school leavers even to be able to actually go and have a hands-on experience and and you know, learn a trade and learn skills and actually, you know, I think the thing that's important to a lot of employers nowadays is actually that you have experience of doing the job. Um and for myself, you know, I'm I'm a design engineer in my day job. Um I've been working in engineering for more than twenty five years and, you know, I'm very firmly in my late forties, um, not getting any younger. And you know that's certainly something that you see is that there there aren 't a lot of younger people coming into the into the manufacturing industry, so um yeah I think it's it's actually really good to see the likes of of companies like Airbus that are actually recognizing that, and they are kind of taking steps to to allow different career path for people to come into the industry,
2: yeah, Mark Priestley makes a good point, actually, Nick as well, in the chat room he says um um have to do this uh, and more in schools they are the future and keeping aircraft museums is also key to encouraging them into a great industry that's a good point yeah
3: yeah yeah it's uh, yeah i think you know it's really important that uh, we get younger people engaged with um, with engineering and you know manufacturing in particular is it has receded in the UK, we we still have an awful lot of very skilled people and a lot of skilled um, niche areas of industry within the UK. So uh, yeah, it's very important that we we keep those skills alive and, and that, uh, you know, although we perhaps nowadays recognise sort of Asia and Far East as, as being the centres for, for manufacturing in, in volume, the UK is still very much the place where a lot of R&D happens and a lot of the innovation actually occurs at the sort of development end of, of manufacturing so yeah it's really important to keep that alive
1: any thoughts while we move on Armando over in the US no I completely concur here in the US is the same I, I'd love to see more avenues to get into the industry not just as pilots
2: hmm. staying with you and Armando you've got the next story and uh, this is more this more fits in with
1: your uh, day-to-day job oh I was just thinking I didn't I didn't pay Nick to put this story in there or <laughs> or anything, I, I had nothing to do with this, but this is specifically about corporate aviation. Um, as you guys know, uh, private aviation, corporate aviation has seen a significant growth since the start of the pandemic. Uh, those who could afford it preferred private air travel uh, over commercial uh, air travel, especially during the, the pandemic. Uh, over the last couple of years, the private aviation sector has grown up 23% in the United States alone. Uh, So more and more private aircraft management companies are being launched uh, catering to a growing demand of private and business jets. Uh, Similarly, private jet manufacturers are pushing hard to increase production as we've seen from uh, Textron and Embraer and uh, uh, Dassault and all those aircraft manufacturers. But depending on the size of uh, aircraft, And I actually get asked this question quite a bit. New private jets, new private jets can cost anywhere between 15 million and 80 million, that's eight zero million US dollars. Um, Now that is for a small to medium sized uh, jet that doesn't include the larger business jets uh, such as uh, BBJs or the Airbus ACJ. Most of those jets are well over into the hundred million dollar category, but uh, probably one of the more famous you know, it used to be Learjet. Now we kind of think of Gulfstream as the the industry uh, image of corporate jets. So the Gulfstream G700, it's a large business jet that can accommodate up to 19 passengers in a standard configuration, up to 10 passengers if you can imagine this in a sleeper configuration. Um, that aircraft has a maximum speed of uh, Mach point nine two five. That's wow. uh, nine nine tenths the speed of sound the uh, aircraft has a maximum range of 7500 nautical miles it's about 13900 kilometers now this air, this aircraft was unveiled by Gulfstream in 2019 entered service a couple years ago uh, 2022 um so as far as the capital and the operating cost the Gulfstream G700 that's a 75 million dollar aircraft out of the barn that's brand new uh it is one of the most expensive jets in its class due to Uh, technologically advanced systems it's got extraordinary flight capabilities Um, while that can be shared that cost among fractional owners uh, the aircraft also has a pretty hefty operating cost which varies on usage Uh, there's a great website libertyjet.com that shows the annual operating costs of flying the gulfstream g700 can be up to well you can surpass it but on the high end, $3.25 million per year, uh, depending on the usage. That's for a Gulfstream that's being used about 200 hours per year, uh, will be somewhere around the $2.2 million mark with an average cruising speed of 550 miles per hours. That kind of works out to about $19.69 per mile, if you can imagine that going down the highway there on the, uh, the M.O. level or something like that. Um, The more you operate it, the cheaper it is actually to operate. So if you take a Gulfstream G700 and fly it 400 hours a year, that can be somewhere around $3.3 million. Um, That brings it down to a much affordable $15 per mile at the same average cruise speed. Um, So it's the same with uh, big airplanes, little airplanes. The more you fly it, the the less cost per hour it is to run. Um, If you take all of those numbers, for a Gulfstream at least. Uh, That works out if you're flying it 200 hours a year, it's about $10,000 an hour, uh, more or less. If you fly it 400 hours a year, then it comes down to about 8,300 US dollars per hour. Um, And I think Nick actually added some questions here. Let's see. I think you were wondering, Nick, how that compares to what we fly in the Hawker, right?
3: Yeah, I was sort of interested to, with your experience and, you know, I, I'm obviously not looking to uh, uh, kind of delve into any um, sensitive information with your particular no. employer, but I was just interested to know if, if uh, you know, 200 or 400 hours was a kind of fairly typical figure and, you know, how that would compare in your experience.
1: Yeah, I think there's two, uh, maybe three factors that I would throw in there. So ours is a private owner. And they are the only ones that use the aircraft. So the aircraft is not on charter. It's not publicly available or anything like that. So we actually only fly about 150 hours per year for our aircraft. And that's a two aircraft flight department, both Hawker 800s. Our annual operating budget is 1.2 million per aircraft. That's for about 150 hours, give or take. Uh, if you were to put an aircraft on charter, now a lot more people are using it. So I would say 200 hours a year is pretty reasonable, maybe even more than that, 400. Um, if it's a really busy, like a net jets or something like that, then the aircraft are going to far exceed that. Um, and then the, the third factor I would throw in there is uh, we generally fly two-hour legs. If you, if you own a Gulfstream 700, you're probably flying 10-hour legs. So... Uh, number of flights uh, per year may be around the same, but they're obviously doing much longer legs. So, Which I suppose arguably is better from a maintenance point of view because you're doing less cycles. Less cycles, yeah. Less cycles on the landing gear, yeah. the aircraft, the engines. Um, and you know, I America- guess in the case of your employer, it would
3: actually probably make financial sense for them to charter the aircraft when they're not using it as a as a means of generating an income against that asset.
1: Uh that is an option and that has been presented to them. I don't think they want to share their aircraft. That would be like Nev letting uh, putting letting people drive his car, his banana, right? And or <laughs> do you know that have you guys heard of Turo? Yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah That'd it, be like it, Nev putting his Pride and Joy on Turo to try to offset some costs.
3: Yeah. I could do that with my car, but nobody would want to drive it.
1: What are your
0: thoughts, Nev? Uh, Well, I I would like a a, a, a G700 very much. Yes, I I think I could cope with that. The the sleeper version, definitely.
3: Can we put Uh, some of those pictures up, please, Carlos? Because it looks absolutely stunning. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's a great airplane. I did did pop that up again. Here we go. There we go. Yeah, and while you're doing that, our our flight department is actually looking at upgrading uh, aircraft, not not necessarily for size, but more because. the hawkers are getting a little bit long in the tooth now so parts availability getting into service centers uh, it is a text drawn aircraft and it's they kind of inherited the hawker right like they didn't build the hawker and um for us i think one of the things that you were wondering nick about cancellation for maintenance issues we don't really have a lot of cancellations hawkers pretty reliable pretty high dispatch rate the problem is when it does go into phase maintenance that getting some of the parts Even tires are taking a couple months. Windshields take us, you know, four to six months to get. So I think the owners don't want to be told, no, that your airplane is not available. So I think we're looking at comparable to ours. uh, We're looking at getting either a Gulfstream 450, a G450, or a Dasso Falcon 2000. Uh, It'll probably be one of those, maybe an Embraer Legacy, but that's... It's getting a little bit newer and pricier. I don't. I don't know that they want to spend that much money. So, wow. um, I. I am leaning towards the Dassault, to, towards the Falcon. Um, that would be a great airplane to fly. Yeah, I,
3: I can imagine for the sort of person that's spending up, upwards of a million dollars a year for the for that overhead of, of the convenience of having a jet, they don't want to have that jet stuck on the ground for four months because they can't get a windchill yeah. for it.
1: Yeah, and you know, and these numbers are all relative. Right. So, I mean, to them going from, so like going to a Dassault or sorry, to a Falcon for, uh, 2000 for us, we could sell both Hawkers uh, and get a single Falcon 2000 for maybe eight, $9 million. And then your operating cost goes up to just under $2 million. So for them, it would be almost negligible. The, the increase in flight per hour, but, but much more um, reliability for the future.
0: Right. I have jump-seated on a Falcon 2000 from East Midlands Airport to Le Bourget, back in the day, for a well-known construction company manufacturer. And that was uh, great, sitting between the two pilots for 50 minutes. That was a a treat, that was. Uh, But tell you what, whilst we're on the subject of corporate aviation, have you noticed on your breakfast television this morning all the broadcasters are getting themselves in a right tizzy about cop 28 the climate change summit and the fact that people are having to go there in some cases in many cases by private aircraft once again i'm not an expert but <laughs> you're holding it in dubai roughly in the middle of the world oh, that's a massive generalization i realize <laughs> people are going to have to get there somehow um and I find it absolutely unbelievable that this was the the top story on two of the the broadcasters programs this morning here in the UK. Notwithstanding all the stuff that's going on in Gaza, Israel, Ukraine, Russia, you know, all of that seriously bad stuff. Now obviously a climate change um, conversation has to be had and I understand all that but honestly to hijack the whole of the news with uh, the disgust and amazement that these world leaders have had to travel by aviation to a climate summit. I'm missing something here. I definitely am.
2: Yes. Mike has just said in the chat room, actually, Nev, he said the uh, vice president of the US went there today, obviously flying on a 757 or the (laughs) C-32. Yes, yes.
1: Anyway, stay- uh, as well, I was gonna say as we're talking about, you know, aircraft efficiency and pollution and stuff, let's let's go back in time to some of these aircraft where seeing a black a three mile trail of black smoke was a <laughs> a treat for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. So many memories. Nev, you've
2: got the next story and this is odd, oh, this is such good this uh,
0: well actually talking of yes talking of black smoke there's some a couple of aircraft here that uh definitely fit into that category i would say it's on the uh, war uh, warbirdsnews.com um and it says that cypriot company zella aviation have acquired famous abandoned olympic airliners well two of the rusting stripped down passenger jets that once belonged to olympic airways uh, which had been abandoned at the helicon uh, sorry helicon airport since 2001 were recently acquired by the cypriot company zella aviation The objective of the company is to restore the once abandoned airliners and display them to the public. For six decades, the home served as the Greek capital main hub for commercial airlines. Uh, It was the Greek home of the golden age of travel, handling around 12 million passengers per year. But following the opening of the current Athens International Airport in 2001, Hellencon was neglected and is now caught up in years' worth of bureaucracy uh, and debates surrounding what the airport site should be used for. Uh, One jet is now a rare BAC-111. Now, if you want uh, an aircraft which had uh, twin jets of black smoke coming out the back and back in the day, that's one (laughs) of them. Um, And very loud before they fitted the hush kits. Uh, But sporting the uh, colours of the Hellenic Air Force, which uh, belonged to the Cyprus Airways fleet. Once the aircraft is restored, it will be donated to the municipality of uh, Lavrio and will be placed next to the city's harbor. The initial idea was to transport the aircraft to Cyprus in the historic colors of Cyprus Airways. But at the current stage, the transportation process was deemed particularly difficult and expensive. The second aircraft is a Boeing 727, which was acquired in 1968, by Greek millionaire Aristotle Onassis for the legendary fleet of the Atlantic Olympic Airways. After maintenance and renovation, this aircraft will be preserved until a final decision is made regarding its location where it will be displayed. Uh, the president of. of um, Zeller Aviation Andreas Christodoulos uh, says that these two aircraft are part of the history of Greek and Cypriot aviation. Uh, The exhibition of these two aircraft to the public will provide an opportunity for people, especially the younger generation, to travel back in time and discover the fascinating world of the aviation industry. Zeller Aviation, since its establishment in 2006, has been active in the the field of aircraft wet and dry leasing, chartering and aircraft sales. Uh, With offices in Cyprus and the United Kingdom, Zeller Aviation provides a range of service for its clients, located in Europe, Asia, Africa and the North and South. So, uh, these, quite these interesting,
2: aircraft, Honestly, these aircraft now, these have been photographed so much online. There's not many aviation kind of geek sites that don't have pictures of these aircraft mm. sitting here. And they've been there, for, as you're saying, for a number of years. But, um, you know, the old BAC 111, I remember flying on one of those with British International Airways, BIA, back in the late 80s to uh, Yugoslavia. And yeah, really, such a. Oh, I I can still remember as well the the glorious orange and white livery of the uh, of the aircraft, and of course the seven two seven as well, uh, another aircraft that um, I flew on back in the late eighties as well as a child. But uh, uh, do you remember
0: remember flying on these as well, Nev? I never flew on a seven two seven. I did fly on a BAC one eleven. From Luton to Belfast once. Um, Who was that with? That might have even been a was it a Ryanair? I don't know. Didn't Ryanair have Um, a BAC one? They they did, yes. Um, But um, yeah, I mean, gosh, noisy uh, was (laughs) the name of the game with both of those aircraft, actually. But with the hush kits fitted, uh, it was a a far more reasonable experience, I I think, for for people outside um, on the ground.
2: Do you know? what uh, you heard much about the BAC, the illustrious
1: BAC One Eleven, Armando, over in the US? Uh, no, there was a few airlines that had them here, also. Uh, that was uh, slightly before my time, though. Sorry, Nick. What about you?
3: No, again, I'm I'm far too young. <laughs>
2: oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen to it, honestly what you like. Uh, Armando he says with a
1: big birthday well, coming up. Oh. Uh, Micah Micah says he used to fly 111s on Allegheny. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think Allegheny was bought by U.S. Air and then became U.S. Airways. So I think they might have made it over to U.S. Air at some point. But yeah, there was a few. There was quite a few here in the U.S.
2: Okay, I'm surprised. Did B. Did B.A. have the 111s Nev, or did they not?
0: No, No, I don't think they did wonder why. Um,
2: it's a British-built aircraft. I'm surprised BA didn't have any of those. Yeah.
0: Oh, actually, no, that, so, I'm sorry, they did. I beg your pardon, they did have some, yes, um, back in the day. Yes, they did. Hmm. Um, in fact, they operated them out of Gatwick for the holiday routes oh, as yeah. well, I think.
2: Yes, yeah. Now, Mondo, you've got
0: the last uh, story
2: in the commercial news, all about a very special museum that I really want to get and go and have a look at.
1: Yeah, it's that not, not much of a story, more of an update. The, I've had a couple of people, um, actually some listeners that have asked me about the status of this museum. Uh, now, we did a story on this a couple months ago, how it was going to be renamed the Sullenberger Aviation Museum here in Charlotte. But finally, some artists' renditions are being published. Um, Carlos, I think there's some pictures there that we're going to put up. But uh, finally, get a date also. So we're looking at summer 2024 when the museum is going to open i thought it was pretty good to begin with but it was a little outdated as far as the facilities themselves go for us ab geeks the aircraft themself, it, themselves inside the the hangar are pretty cool and i think they're going to um have a, a really nice interactive uh, display with all their current aircraft which are all sitting on the side of a runway right now actually on the closed runway five two three there at charlotte douglas um, but m- most notably, obviously, the the Airbus, the uh, A320 from U.S. Air Flight 1549, Cactus 1549 with uh, Chelsea Sullenberger. Uh, that aircraft has been preserved in the hangar there at this museum. And like I said, it was a great exhibit before. So all of you guys that have come to Charlotte, you're just going to have to postpone your trips or start planning your trips for the summer of 2024 when this museum opens up. It's going to be pretty cool. It looks good.
2: It looks really good outside there.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, even in the old museum, the when you walk around the Airbus, the A320, and you see the damage that was done, yet at the same time think the damage that wasn't done, it's pretty impressive. Um, it was a really impressive interactive exhibit. And they're going to have news stories playing from that day and, and news from... Uh, from you know print news and television news and things like that but it's pretty pretty awesome
2: yeah it looks good i would like to get across and see that it's one of the things i want to do Mm -hmm. but uh nev moving on to the next part of the show what what uh, what's coming up next well uh
0: it's the start of the month so that means we say thank you to our patreon donators and, uh, of course, without which, we can't run the show. So we really appreciate all of your contributions. And this month, it's Derek Smith, Bill Aranek, Sam Dawson, Logan Lynch, Alex Robinson, Dirk S., Sasha Beer, Stephen Ivey, Nick Codling, thank you, Nick, uh, Luth- Luis Cacharis, uh, Alan White, Stephen Howland, Tanya Wyman, Nick Hewitt, uh, Masha Gertz, uh, Reuben Wells, Neil Landwarn, Graham Haley, Jonathan Warner, Jordan Rose, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, Adam Spink, Liz Piper, Jeff Ward, Benjamin Todd, Jenny Parkinson, Evan Shue, Stuart Backer, and Stephanie Plummer. And for those who have contributed by PayPal, it's Mazous Karim. Thank you, Mazous. Uh, Craig Urosoko, and Richard Adams. Thank you one and all for your superb contributions. Than ever. Many thanks. Yes, thank
2: you to everyone who has contributed, as always, this month to Patreon and PayPal. We all do very much appreciate your help each month, and uh, we've got some... uh well, some exciting plans, I think, next year, haven't we, Nev? Uh, my diary, yes, have, yeah. My diary yeah. is a lot more uh, open next year. Um, we're going to make an, an effort of uh, doing a lot more next year, I think, for the show, mm. so you're going to some great stuff on board. Uh, so it's time. It's time for our Caption This Picture of the Week. Now, it's your chance to comment on a picture that I post on our social medias on a Wednesday, and uh, I'll pop the picture up on the screen there. Now, uh, um, Armando,
1: could you explain what's going on with this picture? Uh, here? Well, it's taken from inside of an aircraft, and this is something ne- Nev has never seen this because this has to be back in twenty three, twenty four A, I would say, right? Yeah, Looking at the left that's not
0: side. Seat I'm familiar with at all. No. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, Nev, this is this is what the airplane looks like if you were to. Whoa. Okay. Have to use the aft lav. <laughs> um, okay. uh, but as we look out onto the wing of this aircraft, uh, we see a lot of, uh, I'm going to use the American tape, the uh, term duct tape holding the wing together. Uh, so off we go with the, uh, what did we get here? Do we have music for this? Do we, we don't do the music for this, right?
2: <laughs> no, we don't need any music. So uh, kicking off the first one, uh, we'll go with uh, Mr. Stuart Asler, a good friend of the show. Stuart says, when you said we were going to practice the slats and flaps jam checklist, I assumed you meant the simulator.
1: Ha-ha. <laughs> oh, Nev can take the next one.
0: Uh, yes, yeah, some wag called Nev <laughs> has said, uh, if you can't fix it with gaffer tape, you haven't used enough. Which is actually true, I have to say.
1: <laughs> uh, Nick, you want to take it? Nick, as he works, he works That's feverishly right. I was, <laughs> as, as he gets, I was, he gets I was, himself muting
3: myself there. <laughs> so, EasyJet cancels flights to Budapest after it fails in dramatically taping extra passengers to the wings, only to lose them within the first thousand feet of flight in new trials, <laughs>
2: uh,
3: ra- then running out of duct tape to restrain the other drunken
0: passengers on board. <laughs> that was a very well thought out uh, comment. Right. Well, right. Very <laughs> Yeah. Stephen. Uh,
2: John, uh, John Luke says, Russian Airbus finally leaves the field after many of the heavier parts were removed.
0: Ah, oh, Yes. Uh, Michael says, it's taken an age, but at long last, one PTUK host has finally bought <laughs> a budget airline. The whole experience, along with the view from seat 1A, hmm. left him speechless.
1: Wonder, I wonder who they're talking about. Yeah, Let's see, Ben says, alas, it was discovered that despite the name, speed tape does not make it go faster. <laughs>
2: Nick, you want the next one with Jenny?
1: Yeah, we've got our, our good
3: friend of the show, Jenny. Um, co-pilot to pilot. Now, don't get in a flap, but...
2: <laughs> <laughs> and also, a member of the chat room this evening, Richard uh, says, uh, in airplane film style, so we're going to go, Light in the cabin is flashing. Don't panic, pa- uh, passenger. Are you telling us, ab- us absolutely everything? The crew member says, No, sir, we are out of speed tape. Riot now follows in the cabin. Light now flashing. Okay, panic! You have to know, <laughs> you have to know the film airplane to get all that.
0: But, uh, yes. Nev, what's Sean saying? Uh, Sean simply says stick and rudder.
1: Oh, I like Bill's here. It says yeah. the captain speaking is getting some additional help to stick the landing. <laughs> Uh, Nick, you got Chris. Yeah, as well.
2: Chris, Chris Gurney reckons it will be good
3: for another 50 hours. Oh, ah, yeah, <laughs> uh,
2: Steph Smith says, if it doesn't move and it should, use WD-40. If it moves and it shouldn't, use speed tape till it
0: stops moving. And then uh, Chris says, now we know why they want to keep the shades down. Mm.
1: <laughs> Bob says, duct tape is for ducks. Speed tape is for plates. Excellent.
0: Very good. Have we got uh, any in the chat room, Nev? It's a great question. Um, And I'm going to have a look. Um, Sorry for the pause. Um, Mark Priestley says, uh, new lightning strike, uh, sorry, um, new lightning strike uh, uh, defense tape.
1: See, it's topical because we just talked about it. Yeah, just did
0: that. (laughs) Uh, Lee says, uh, we got tape, but where's the engine? (laughs) Uh, Dirk says, duct tape simulator version 2.0.
1: Would well, that be a great computer game? Can you, uh, sorry, a simulator? Can you imagine <laughs> simulating like got, all the things you can do with duct tape and your? We got a good scenarios? one from
3: Micah actually. Um, do you know how many rolls, how many ducks they have to kill, just to make one roll of that tape? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> sure, you can buy duck-friendly versions these days. Oh yeah, definitely. I've
2: got a garage full of stuff. I swear by it. What ducks? Duck duct tape. No, not ducks. No. <laughs> Whack. <laughs> Although I am partial to a hoist and duck (laughs) roll. Aren't we all? Uh, Don't forget to tune in uh, on our social medias on a Wednesday where we're going to pop another picture up, hopefully uh, next week of, uh, you know, of, well, the humorous kind of things that we find on the internet. This week's actually, I'm going to say thank you to our very own Armando because, Armando, you found that picture this week.
1: Ah, the internet. You're welcome. Thank you.
2: And uh, while you're on the uh, screen there, Armando, would you like to introduce uh, your part of the show?
1: Yeah, it's not going to be a happy one this week, but uh, let's hit the button. The usual 60, uh, three, four, zero. Uh, okay. okay well uh as you most of you listening to the show have probably seen there was a air force special operations cv-22 osprey that went down in japan just in the last uh 24 40 40 hours or so Uh, i'm going to read the air force special operations command public affairs statement with an update that they just made this morning uh the u.s military alongside the japan uh, coast guard the japanese self defense forces local law enforcement and japanese civilian volunteers is continuing search and rescue operations for the cb22 crew following the mishap that occurred on november 29th off the shore of yakushima island in japan uh, search and rescue operations consist of combination of air surface and subsurface Uh, search of water and coastline in the vicinity of Yakushima in order to locate the crew members. The seven airmen are in a status that means uh, duty status whereabouts unknown. At this time, they can confirm that only one uh, set of remains has been recovered. Uh, Our sincere gratitude to all the units and the Japanese partners involved in helping us locate our airmen. Units involved in the search and rescue operation are the Japan Coast Guard, the Self-Defense Forces, the Pacific Air Forces, the United States Pacific Fleet, the U.S. Marine Corps Pacific, Special Operations Command Pacific, and uh, the unit from which this aircraft came from, the 353rd Special Operations Wing at Kadena Air Base in Japan. Um, I personally knew two of the individuals that are currently missing. um, And... Uh, i'd flown with them so this is a time where for me it's interesting having been removed from the organization for a couple years now um to me it was always amazing how the air force and the military and the services all come together in these kinds of times um what is known so far obviously we're going to wait for an investigation to happen but some of the basic facts that uh That we know already is that the aircraft went down in in day uh vmc visual meteorological conditions uh the crew status as of this afternoon and and as you guys can imagine i'm getting regular updates from from friends and from the command um people are reaching out to me because our community is fairly small Um, it's really only a couple hundred people but uh but the crew status is still not known um it was a flight of two Ospreys that was on this training mission um but I, I guess this is a good time uh to kind of explain because because I think people get a little apprehend maybe not apprehensive but maybe skeptical when every mishap says it's a training mission right I mean we, we all kind of think that oh everything's a training mission everything's a training mission well that there we train a lot <laughs> And um, there is risk even during the training missions because the uh, each Air Force unit has a purpose, right? I mean, that sounds very basic, but, but there's actually very defined purposes and very uh, essential tasks and skills that each unit is tasked with. Uh, they, it's actually written in a document that says your, your job as a unit as a commander is to make sure that we can do this in support of a larger uh, regional security plan or contingency plan. Um, that is how funding is received for those units, the, the flying funds, the support funds, um, and those, that, those funds go to the air crews and the ground crews being the best that they can possibly be at that very specific skill set. Um, this specifically for Air Force and Air Force special operations can be a combination of uh, pilot proficiency, engineer, flight engineer proficiency, gunner proficiency, or what do we call it? user proficiency. Um, so we have very defined training tasks that we're going to accomplish uh, for each flight, and that is, it's it's usually a, a, a multitude of tasks, you know, maybe seven eight nine tasks that we want to complete for each crew member and their crew position for that flight um when i when i talk about users like that can be you know search and rescue teams other services other countries um so we we have a lot of people like we can't just be good at flying we have to be good at dropping the people off that we're gonna drop off and then they have to be good at getting on and off the airplane or maybe they're going to use a rope or a fast rope or litter so all of those things are practiced Uh, Constantly, uh, day and night, in order to be able to do the things when we're actually called to do the things. Um, For the Osprey specifically, low-level flight. On on a typical flight, we'll have some low-level flying, takeoffs, landings, uh, some gunnery work in range, uh, hoists, hovers, uh, maybe even shipboard operations. All of that is going to take place during the course of of one four-hour sortie. So as you guys can imagine, it's it's very busy. Takes a lot of planning, but we're doing the same things in training that we're going to do uh, when called to to do the things or in combat or contingencies. Um, from a personal standpoint, you know, I was in a leadership position by the time I, I retired from the uh, Air Force, and what happens in these kinds of situations is is honestly the family, the organization, the military family comes together. Uh, it's amazing it's something that i miss to be honest with you um i miss dearly and and you know people have been reaching out uh, both you know to seek information from me but as well as like just kind of um seek advice right or just maybe to vent right i've fielded a couple of phone calls of 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 uh of a few friends that are still in just to kind of express their grief um just like any civilian organization there are crit- uh, critical incident plans so you know you have a you have a sort of a plan on the shelf that you have that you can go to um and then a big part of it is controlling the information right and that's it's harder and harder with the inf- with the internet nowadays but a, a lot of what i've been doing over the last uh, well you know almost 48 hours now has been uh helping control the information helping tamper speculation um it's very important for most importantly the families but the units to to have some time to to process what's happening to them um and the internet is just really really hard to to do that with um so that's a lot of what happens initially with with these kinds of things and then you know as information comes about then they'll publicly or they'll publicize it and then you know we'll get it in the media and and so on and, and so on but well, here you go it's
0: very very sad indeed isn't it and you mentioned there, it's uh you know might have been up to a four hour sortie so these flights take a lot of planning and the briefing involved must be extensive as well and let's be you know clear these are professional guys and girls operating uh, these aircraft Um, and you know in aviation there's always a lot of emphasis on contingency and always leaving yourself a way out and, and what happens if this happens or what happens if something else happens so that's I would imagine very much part of the briefing but still Things can go wrong, uh, unfortunately, um, and we'll have to wait to see on what really does happen. But uh, yeah, the Internet's a not a good place sometimes with these sorts of stories. Um, and uh, ill-informed speculation is just awful. Uh, not just for the the wider community, but for the, the families and, and those who are closest to the people involved.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and the, the, the Osprey has a bad rap. and publicly if people uh, that are incredibly uninformed love to bash the osprey um because it every time that there is a mishap it uh it makes the news and then you know it's already got this this i don't know this thing that they're trying to i don't know if it's promulgate or dispel i don't know who's on what side but we we simply don't know i mean they, they could have taken birds there when we fly low level over the ocean we're at 100 feet um, that doesn't give you a lot of time uh, to take any actions. You might get a little bit of a climb from the speed that you have. Uh, if it's a catastrophic mechanical failure, you know, you're you're pretty pretty limited in any airplane. I mean, you could be flying a Cessna caravan at at a hundred foot low level and you don't have a lot, a lot of time. Um, we've seen plenty of mishaps in all kinds of military aircraft, fighter jets, helicopters, um you know, rotary wing uh, tilt rotor, where the, the mission set that we do is dangerous and we take on that risk. We, we know the risk of flying at a hundred feet or 200 feet off the water, or in the case of helicopter mishaps, you know, flying at, at night on night vision goggles at 50 feet, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous thing. Mishaps are going to happen. Um, so i just hate to see that people are jumping on this whole you know the osprey is a, a terrible airplane and it should be grounded and all that but um we just don't know right
2: just as a matter of interest i'm on though um you know to, to help with the investigation on this do these types of
1: aircraft have a, a data recorder like commercial airliners do yeah and we've seen that with some of the uh, fighter jet mishaps where all the data is stored in a our version of a flight data recorder and a and voice recorders and things like that. Okay. So uh maybe, maybe not necessarily voice recorders, but all the data is is there. Hmm. Well,
2: let's hope that they um get to the bottom of what's happened. And uh yeah, as always, all the community, I think, you know, all our thoughts are with all the families and friends affected by this. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, next story uh, comes to us from the, is it Lanes or Janes.com? Lanes.com? Yeah. Janes.com. Uh, janes.com. Yeah. Um, this is uh, all about uh, Romania receiving their first F-16 from Norway. Now, we always, we all know there's uh, quite a few F-16s about. Uh, Romania has received uh, from Norway the first of 32 surplus Lockheed Martin f sixteen fighting Falcon combat aircraft it contracted in November last year. The Norwegian Armed Forces announced the transfer of the first three aircraft on the 28th of November, saying the jets were flown by Romanian Air Force pilots from Rieg Air Station to their future home operating station at the 86th Fertisti air base in eastern Romania. The sale of the F-16s will strengthen the and uh, modernize the defenses of Romania, an allied nation along NATO's eastern flank that's also a neighbor of the Ukraine. Norwegian Defense Minister Bjorn-Aaron Graham was quoted saying at the official handover of the aircraft. Now, Romania is acquiring 32 F-16 AM slash, <coughs> excuse me, BM Block 15 mid-life upgrade aircraft, as well as spares and support equipment from Norway. <coughs> Sorry, got a frog in my throat here. Uh, for 388 million euros or 386 uh, million US dollars, at the time the deal was finalized back in 2022, it's the largest ever sale of military equipment in Norway's history. The Norwegian Armed Forces did not disclose which variants of the F-16 made up the delivery batch, but the accompanying press release showed a twin-seat F-16BM with its new remaining ser- remaining serial number of 1632 as one of the three jets. Uh, deliveries will run through to the end of 2025, by which time the Romanian Air Force will be f- uh, filled or field 49 F-16s, including the uh, 17 F-16AM and BM Block 15 MLU aircraft recently received from Portugal. Uh, the Block 15 MLU provides uh, an analogous, a- analogous. A- a- Analogous, oh, what a word is that? I'll throw that in An- there. Analogous. Thank just make you. sure you don't get the emphasis Thank on you. the wrong place. Uh, capability of the US, I'm just imagining loads of six-pack dials everywhere, uh, of the F-16Cs, Ds, and Block 50 and 52 aircraft. And uh, also the United States Coast Guard. Uh, In other news from Flight Global to acquire uh, more former Navy H-60s amid a shift to an all-Sikorsky helicopter fleet. The U.S. Coast Guard has received approval to acquire 20 former U.S. Navy uh, Sikorsky H-60 helicopters, a move coming as the service looks to eventually operate an all-Sikorsky MH-60T helicopter fleet. Uh, U.S. Coast Guard Rear Admiral Michael Campbell on the 30th of November disclosed broad strokes of the service's fleet plan, citing efforts to extend the life of its MH-60Ts and plans to acquire updated engines from GE airspace for the helicopters. The United States Coast Guard said it intends to eventually operate only one helicopter type, the MH-60T, meaning it intends at some point to divest all its uh, 98 air, uh, Airbus Helicopters, MH-65Ds and E's and the AS-365s. But well, when this might happen it remains unclear. Uh, the Coast Guard now operates 48 MH-60Ts, a variant of the H-60 Sikorsky produced for the United States Navy. Several of the MH-60Ts are formerly, or actually former Navy H-60s that were converted to a uh, Coast Guard standard. Uh, Campbell, the United States Coast Guard Director of Acquisition Programme, says the service has received approval to require another 20 former Navy SH-60s, though he doesn't say when those 20 aircraft are to be converted to the MH-60T standard and compose the first acquisition phase expected to include 27 total former Navy helicopter, Campbell says. He also adds that the United States Coast Guard eventually expects to operate 127 Of the Sikorsky aircraft. Wow, that's pretty good coverage for the U.S. uh, Coast. Uh, The service has been clear that it intends to shift to an all-Sikorsky fleet in the fiscal year 2024. Budget documents of the United States Coast Guard says it intends to decommission six MH-65s. And on the 30th of November, the United States Coast Guard received the first of a planned 45. New MH60T airframes from Sikorsky. The service using those airframes, which include uh, only the nose section, cabin, and aft section of the aircraft, to refurbish its existing MH60Ts, allowing them to be flown into the 2040s. Wow, this is a heck of an helicopter, Armando, and it just goes to show that it can
1: be used for pretty much everything. Yeah, the uh, the you know this basically version of a Black Hawk. Um, there's a great show out um coast guard alaska uh coast guard mission critical those are kind of document uh document what do you call it docu-series uh i mean amazing what what coast guard pilots do have a lot of respect uh because the kind of like i was just talking about when a lot of us pilots look at the sky and go oof we're not flying in that um The Coast Guard, you know, people don't tend to get lost in clear day weather. Um, You know, when you're talking about fishing vessels that are out there and you're talking about lost hunters, when you're talking about aircraft that are missing, they are often in some of the worst uh, weather conditions. And Coast Guard uh, takes to the air, um, you know, in in a lot of conditions that the rest of us would, would... Say, uh, oh, I'm going to sit here with my cup of tea and and wait for a couple hours. Um, the but the the Blackhawks, you know, it's it's very very capable helicopter. Um, I want to go back to the Romania story real quick because one of my you know we used to when I was based over there in Mildenhall, we had a very close security partnership with the Romanians, and we would often travel to Constanța to the uh, 56th Air Base, I think, 56th Air Base, 57th Air Base. Um, and they're one of the coolest parts of that airbase base was there is, uh, behind all the operations buildings, a bunch of MiG-21s and MiG-23s and a couple, even MiG-29s, um, that were parked there. And, and the Romanian air force was nice enough to go out there and, and let us poke around and, you know, jump into the aircraft. And they would show us around and, and kind of talk to us about their beginnings, but as you know, in their operations in the in the 80s and the 90s, operating these Russian aircraft, and um, really cool that they're getting these F16s now. Jonathan Warner said in the chat rooms, even the early models of the F16 retrofitted are very very capable aircraft. And I gotta I gotta tell you, the Romanian pilots that we flew with and against, because we would do training exercises where they would try to do aerial intercepts with us, they're some of the best pilots out there. They're really really good at what they do. So I can't. Can't wait to see what they can do with F sixteens. And I gotta
2: say, Armando, one of my favourite films still is Black Hawk Down.
1: I mean, yeah, that's a that's a very raw film. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta be in the right mood to, to watch that.
2: Yeah. But no, thanks for putting those stories together for us, Armando. Appreciate that. And obviously, uh yeah, the chat room are definitely getting on board, especially Jonathan Warner, he does appreciate his military stuff, doesn't he? Bless him. <laughs> but he's uh, the one. He's the one. Uh, Nev, it's the time of the show where we uh, hand things over to you to uh, to give stuff away.
0: Yes, it's uh, the competition, and um, I wasn't here last week, but I was intrigued by the questions from last week's competition because i would not have got these at all but um i'm pleased to say we have a number of winners in the hat which i shall be drawing out in a second uh last week's uh the, the well the prize is uh, ask the pilot by patrick smith i think you've got that book haven't you um i have
2: it's it's at home <laughs> it's, well, I'm, I'm in the, the ptuk
0: master suite studio so lovely well that's the prize the questions in fact there was two questions all sort of rolled into one really um the first question was who was the first launch customer outside of the usa of the boeing 737 now i wouldn't have known this um but it says that lufthansa became the launch customer of the 737 on february the 19th 1965 after an order was placed for 21 units Uh, Which were worth 67 million dollars subsequently the flag carrier of Germany received its first 737 100 on December the 28th 1967 and became the first airline outside of the US to launch a new Boeing plane I didn't know that and the second part of the question was what airline was started as the result of the sale of those Boeing 737s to that launch customer the answer is People Express And um, I'm sure we've seen pictures of the 747 of uh, People Express on the uh, the internet and what have you. But uh, again, another thing that I didn't actually know, that that was the result of that. So anyway, in the hat here we have a number, I think we've got about seven or eight correct answers. I shall uh, pick one out at random and let's have a look. Uh, And it is... Michael Howie, uh, from Germany, I believe, actually. I think we've sort of seen his, uh, email. So, Michael, well done. Excellent job, sir. Uh, Carlos will send you the book. I will uh, send you a quick email to, um, Get your address, yeah. and we will send it off to you.
2: Yeah, I'll pop that in a, in a little bag and get that sent off to you uh, as soon as I know where to post it to. So, uh, yes. yeah, get your address in, and uh, we'll get that off to you. Well done. Congratulations. Now, Nev, what are you giving away to our lovely r- uh, listeners and
0: viewers this week? Here it is. It's called 30 Seconds to Impact, Uh, It's the uh, uh, story of BA38, which crashed short of the runway at two seven left at Heathrow, uh, written by Pete Burkill and his wife, Maria Burkill. I bought this when it first came out, actually. And it's a fascinating read of the whole story of it. And um, I really recommend this. So I'm going to give this book away uh, next week to... Uh, who can uh, the person that can answer the following question um now obviously we know that uh most people know the reason for the uh, aircraft crashing in the first place the triple seven crashing uh was that both engines ended up um in idle and and not producing any power or or hardly any power um and then subsequent um uh, inspection um result uh, showed that there were ice crystals Um, in parts of the engine which was affecting the fuel flow but of course as we know everybody survived that accident so the question is how was pete burkle able to extend the glide of the aircraft so that it didn't impact the ground before the perimeter fence on runway 27 left at heathrow how was pete burkle able to extend the glide of the aircraft so that it didn't impact the ground before the perimeter fence on runway two seven left at Heathrow as we know it just made it across the perimeter fence and landed just short of the, well actually on the threshold of the runway. Um, so if you'd like to enter that competition it's podcast at com, podcast at com, and we shall draw the winners out of the hat next week. So good luck with that and we'll post that uh, in, the, uh, in the socials uh, this week as well for you
2: now nev if if someone wants to find out uh, a good way or way of finding out other than watching or looking through the internet interwebs they could go and look at a certain uh, p2k milestone show where we had a, a discussion or a, a very important uh, talk about this couldn't they yes
0: Number um, Uh, Oh, it was, that's right, yes, absolutely. Was it
2: 300? Oh, let me just check. Um, Oh, no, it was was 300. 300, 300, 300. our 300 show,
0: yeah. Yeah, uh, because our chum Adam happened to be in the tower at Heathrow that day, and um, so for those who were there uh, on the day, um, Adam gave a very good description of all all the things that happened there, so that was... uh, very interesting, yes.
2: Yes, yeah, so if yeah. you search through on our fa- Facebook, our YouTube page uh, back to episode 300 and uh, you might find some inspiration if you watch Adam's talk on there. It was very good, wasn't it, Nev what he did had on that day. Brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. So we're going to start to wrap things up on tonight's show. I know Nev's had a had a heavy week and uh, and uh, I think we've all had a bit of a busy week this week, but mm. uh, uh, we'll start with uh, Armando this week. Armando, first off, are we going to have you on uh, the show next Friday? Uh, as of now, yes. Correct answer.
1: <laughs> you win. <laughs> yeah, it's always interesting how the schedule looks clear and then these trips tend to sort of start popping up.
2: <laughs> so what's, what's going on in the world of uh, Armando
1: in the in next week then? Uh, the usual, just kind of jumping back and forth between airplanes, uh, got a hawker trip tomorrow uh, morning, tomorrow afternoon-ish, and then I'm hoping to get some work done on the biplane, trying to make a new cover for it and things like that, and then I'm sure something will pop up, probably a Pilatus trip here and there. So you're going
2: to, uh, well, I was going to say, with the winter approaching it, uh, even at your neck of the woods, I suppose it's time to get the cover, the thermal cover made for for the biplane.
1: Well, I've been flying down to, I think, 38 degrees is my coldest so far, and it was tolerable. Hmm. I don't know that I would go much more, much lower than that, but um, I've been, Nick will appreciate this. I've been riding in a motorcycle uh, riding suit.
3: Yeah, you need a you need a uh, heated vest, Armando. That's uh, the latest thing I'm I'm about to try out yeah. is uh, uh yeah, you can you can have um a USB power pack uh and it will give you sort of 2 or 3 hours of endurance of of a, a nice warm vest that you can wear under your clothes. Well,
1: that would be the way to do it cuz I only have an 8 amp alternator on the right. engine. Yeah. <laughs> that is enough to run some radios. That's about mm-hmm. it. Wow.
2: Yeah, because we're experiencing, uh, well, we got down to, I think we got down to minus two here this week. Nev, you're a bit more further inland as such. Are you experiencing the uh, minus temperatures
0: your end of the the UK a tad, um, and actually Dublin uh, was snowing yesterday when I left, just before we left, I thought oh no we're going to have to de-ice, but we got away before that luckily, but um yeah it uh, definitely some Scandinavian weather has arrived in the United Kingdom and Ireland, um, and uh, yeah particularly chilly yesterday I thought. Um, but uh, yeah next week for me, uh, all sorts of things going on actually, no flying, a bit of driving, Um on Wednesday, uh, yes, Wednesday next week, I'm doing a presentation to some end users of audiovisual over at uh, Stratford at East London, the site of the former Olympic uh, area. Uh, then on Thursday, I'm doing, uh, well, that Thursday's going to be difficult, or rather, Friday's probably going to be difficult because I'm sharing a room with a lot of university audiovisual managers uh, for the day uh, and the evening. And uh, That means I'll probably have to take some paracetamol with me because those guys and girls, honestly, their their capacity for uh, having a drink is uh, substantial, far better than mine, I have to say. Um, so I shan't be having too much because I've got to be in Oxford on uh, Friday. So yes, quite quite a quite a hectic week overall. But I shall be on the show uh, next Friday, the eighth. All being well.
2: Well, I've got my Christmas works due next Friday, so um, I shall be um, heading over to our glorious city of Norwich to uh, to the um, Delia. If you're in the UK, you'll know who Delia is, who's a chef uh, here in the UK. But I'm going to her restaurant for our Christmas works party, which should be interesting, because there's going to be a DJ and a disco there. And you know what happens when I go to something like that, Nev, and there's someone else doing the job oh dear
0: yes always not doing that properly no i've I've got better cable management than he has yeah
2: yeah so next week i'm going to be leaving uh well i'll be leaving nev in charge he can be in charge next week and uh yeah and uh, hopefully we'll we'll get a super sub on as well Hmm. next week but uh, nick what's going on in the world of nick next week i suppose you'll be uh wrapping up warm on the old uh, motorcycle
3: yeah, it's not getting out of the garage much at the moment. Uh, I'm much preferring the heated seats in the car. So, uh, yeah, oh. we'll stick with that for the time being. I think we had a bit of snow yesterday. So, uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, not been too pleasant. But, uh, yeah, very busy with work at the moment. And, um, yeah, it's getting right in the way of uh, doing podcast stuff. It's outrageous. Oh,
2: dear. <laughs> I suppose you're lucky, Nev, because you've got, uh, I think I'm right
0: in the thing, you've got heated uh, steering wheel in the banana? Yes, I have. Um, but the only disadvantage about having a heated steering wheel is that you then want a heated gear lever knob uh, <laughs> as well, because that is very cold when you've uh, moved your hand from the um, steering wheel to the stick shift, as Armandu would would call it. Um, but of course, had I bought the auto version, that wouldn't have applied, would it? But uh, there you go. So actually, but, uh, that it's it's a good a good thing to have the heated stream I, I like it
2: one of the things i, I miss nev uh, you know with the weather as it is now is i miss because i've obviously not got my transit the old custom van anymore is that heated front windscreen
0: oh yes yes i think uh, many other cars have it now but ford had the um, the patent on it for, for many years yeah. and nobody else could get near it it's a brilliant piece of uh, engineering and it just clears the windscreen very quickly indeed i suppose presumably they've got it on a lot of aircraft as well uh, in order to stop them mm. uh, stop misting up
2: actually question for you armando when you go to your aircraft obviously yours are hanged so it's not so bad but when you go to the uh, an aircraft issue if it's parked out on the ramp when the weather is as it is now minus temperatures you know does it take long or to to heat the actual aircraft up as in the interior of the aircraft for, for you and obviously
1: your passengers uh heating up no not generally uh if you have an APU that's pretty hot bleed air that's coming through um it'll warm up fairly quick cooling it down is a different issue um but similar to what you guys are talking about the more importantly is we we can't have any frost um so early morning frost if your aircraft stays outside Um, that's kind of a no-go unless you really want to pay the money to get de-iced but that's expensive for a private operator Uh, so you either hanger it or you just got to wait till the sun comes up and melts it off
2: yeah unlike those guys at buffalo
1: hey yeah those guys are crazy (laughs) up there
2: (laughs) so nev uh for the benefit of those who may not know where can people find out more about uh, the show
0: online Yes, have a look for the socials on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, just search for Plain Talking UK and you'll find us there. Uh, you can always <clears throat> uh, email the show at podcast at plain talking dot com, uh, or you can send us a WhatsApp on plus forty four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That's plus forty four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. For pictures, comments, or anything you like, um, website is all the W's, plaintalkinguk.com. And you can also join us on YouTube, as many people do, and join us in the chat room as well. Just search for Plain Talking UK on YouTube and uh, you will find us there.
2: And that's it. Well, we're going to wrap up the show then and say a big thanks to everyone in the chat room who's joined us tonight, all the usual uh, faces in there as well. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in for tonight's show. Uh, So don't forget the guys will be back next Friday with another live show. Uh, I won't be here. I'll probably be um, three pints in at the moment of uh, water, obviously. Uh, But uh, have a great show, guys. Enjoy yourselves, won't you? And, uh, Nev, if you want to uh, do the outro, I'm going to hit some buttons this side
0: yes excellent well thanks very much d for everybody for joining us this evening really enjoyed your company excellent stuff in the chat room as always and we'll be posting more details about the the competition again uh, during the week in the meantime i hope you have a great weekend stay safe and see you next week bye for now